outstanding performance. Whoops, that was my mic uh, falling off the desk. And, and sorry, I totally just like my my brain just exploded on me. Okay, all right. All right, all right. What the fuck is up, people? This is Ron Sense. This is Ron. We are back for another episode. We have a decent amount of uh, sort of esports, video games, um, and I guess chess news uh, to to kind of go through. So the my last episode, I talked about how the uh, Valorant Champions tournament in Berlin was going on. Uh, we are now into the um, bracket or the uh, playoff stage, I, I guess, of of that tournament. We've made it through groups. A couple of interesting um, results uh, out of that, but we'll we'll get to that in, in a little bit here. I, I think where I, I'd like to start actually is um, what I think is pay, maybe the most interesting news in in uh, esports right now is in League of Legends. So um, LS, who has been a a very popular uh figure in uh i guess you'd say professional league of legends although he hasn't actually been in professional league of legends for a little bit here uh at least directly he uh coached uh, a team in uh korea oliver bbq i believe the name is i want to say four years ago now I, I don't have the exact uh time frame off the top of my head but he coached a team in korea back uh, back some time ago, and then since then, uh, has really made a name for himself in, in popularity via streaming on Twitch, uh, his YouTube channels. Um, they're extremely informative. Uh, if you're someone who is looking to get into League of Legends, or if you're someone who is trying to get better at League of Legends, uh, I highly recommend his content. Uh, it's extremely helpful, and the way that he thinks about the game is, um, very progressive, I guess I would say, for, I guess, maybe lack of a better term. I think that, you know, a lot of people in in League of Legends, like challenger players and whatnot, who kind of uh, don't exactly know what they're what they're doing type type of thing. It's like it's kind of weird to say, right, because they're in like the top one percent of players. But the Basically, I, I mean, for many cases, a lot of people who are up there are one tricks or people who basically just are able to spam games enough and pick up enough learned behavior uh, and and become proficient enough on certain champions that they can get there. But they don't exactly understand um, minor elements of the game that make large differences once you get into a level of gameplay in which margins are important, right? Because at like gold level of gameplay um, in, in League of Legends, there's a lot of like marginal aspects of the game that aren't as important because everybody, for the most part, is fucking up larger, more macro, fundamental aspects of the game. Uh, things as simple as CSing, wave management, um, taking taking uh, trades that with intent, not just trading because you think you need to trade, but um, roaming with intent, things like that. Uh, and, and so there, there's a lot of that that um, doesn't happen in lower ELO. And in higher ELO, 
even like at challenger and high diamond master grandmaster whatnot that that behavior still happens i mean you if you watch a lot of uh league streamers especially people like uh ls or nemesis um or um elite 500 who's a vladimir uh one trick out of out of europe um who else? Uh, Malice, who's a, a jungler out of Europe, who I think is currently in Korea right now, who primarily plays Evelyn and Karthus. Uh, you, you pick up on a lot of things where they kind of point out like what their teammates are doing that are just clearly sort of mindless decisions. And and why? And then they kind of point out like why that was like a bad decision, right? And so even at the highest levels of play, this kind of behavior happens. So, you, you know, people can say, oh, well you're a gold player or you're a platinum player or you're silver or whatever. And it's like, okay, but it doesn't mean that it's like, all I'm pointing out is that there's plenty of people at your ELO who, <laughs> uh, who are pointing out the same things. And, and it, you don't have to be high ELO to understand what people are talking about. I mean, it just, all it takes is critical thinking and comprehension. And so that's part of why LS is so effective is because you're just pointing out these things that really you don't need to be good at the game even to necessarily understand, but it's amazing how many people just don't think about them because League of Legends, um, is actually somewhat plagued by the idea that, um, you can, especially in solo queue, you can do all of the things that are sort of objectively bad and succeed because you can rely on the fact that solo queue is so chaotic and that everybody is doing bad, like is kind of exhibiting bad behavior. And so then it allows that you can, for example, just be more mechanically proficient and basically, um, brute force your way through climbing via just playing champions with a high ceiling who you become very, very mechanically proficient on and essentially just can, you know, sort of pub stomp games because no one will do, no team will coordinate correctly to, uh, basically stop you from snowballing or steamrolling. Um, and so there's a lot of people who do that. And then, and which is why people generally climb at least their first time uh, climbing to things like challenger and whatnot is they climb as a one trick is because you have been basically become so proficient on your champion that, um, you know, a, the idea, really the concept behind being a one trick that's you're supposed to sort of utilize is the fact that you become so proficient at your champion that you don't have to think about your champion. You can think about the game, which is why, for example, um, LS, often is been the like world's biggest proponent of playing Annie in well frankly in basically any role but mid lane especially and and Soraka for that matter too he's been big on these champions for a long time because a they're extremely uh basic to play like sure you can get into like higher level concepts with them about like you know auto spacing and and things like that um that are actually like mechanically skillful um, uh, com components of one's game that people don't really consider when they think mechanics. Basically, they think people only think of mechanics as sort of like um, movement to some degree and largely like combination of abilities and whatnot. And that's not exactly the whole story because mechanics also has to do with positioning and 
spacing and things like that. And so he's been big on champions like that because they take very little time to become proficient at what the champion needs to be, what you need to be good at to be proficient at the champion, to be effective with what the champion's trying to accomplish. Um, and the champions are capable are extremely capable of accomplishing what they are intended to, right? Annie is extremely uh, capable of, you know, going even or winning lane against almost every matchup uh, and is extremely capable of solo killing basically every champion in the game um, if they do not space themselves properly from her or respect her uh, ability, uh, similarly to Soraka, Soraka can basically go even in every single lane that she's in, you know, and that's because it's not just support, but you can play Soraka as mid lane or top lane as well, or ADC for that matter, but you can play her and, and this was similar, um, some of the nerfs of late have kind of impacted Karma's ability to do this because Karma's, uh, base AD has gone down. And so CSing on her is very difficult or has become more difficult. Um, but same kind of thing is that Soraka can go even in lane and then she'll outscale basically every champion in the game because enchanter based champions like Yumi, Soraka, um, Karma, um, are, are really like the biggest ones, uh, you know, because to, you could say like Nami and Janna and whatnot are kind of in that, that same sort of enchanter type of class, but they, they certainly do not accomplish the same level of, um, uh, success, I guess, because they're somewhat limited by their kits compared to what, um, the other champions I named can do. So anyways, those champions become extremely effective, right? A anybody who's played like a lot of League of Legends knows like playing late later in the game against like a Yumi or a Soraka uh, or a Karma is just disgusting because like every single team fight, it's like you can't do any damage. They just like heal or shield through all of your damage. So you just lose through like a war of attrition. Um... And so they're extremely strong champions in the mid to late game. And so it's just like, you don't even have to like, and they don't, you don't have to like mechanically outplay anybody or anything. You literally just win by virtue of your champion's uh, kit and their synergies, their ability to synergize with uh, the current items. And so he's just pointing out basic concepts like this, but um, if it weren't for LS, most people... Uh, and, and even still, even with LS out there, like I, I, a lot of this season, I played Karma mid lane, uh, because it, one, she is fun to play. And two, like, it's crazy how strong she is at like supporting the team and, and how effective she is. And like, and the amount of t people who would like flame me acting as if I was trolling the game because I picked Karma mid lane. And so I don't do very much damage. And then, and so like people would only look at me and go, well, you're not doing any damage. Look, you could have picked like any like control mage or whatever and done damage and you would have been useful. And it's like, okay, so you're just going to ignore the fact that my moonstone had healed the team for like 8k healing or whatever. And then I also have like, you know, 20k shielding on the team. And so you don't think about the fact that in all those team fights where we were winning, where it looked like you were going to die and I saved your life and then you ended up carrying because I carried you like so it's just like a lot of players just do not have the like the 
like sort of like the brain capacity really to like think about these concepts because all they think about is damage. Like all, all they're doing is like, oh, well, how much damage are you doing? Because nothing else matters except for the fact that shielding is negative damage, right? I mean, whatever damage the enemy team is doing is negated by shielding and healing. So it, it doesn't even it doesn't even make sense why someone would would sort of attempt to argue as if like the you know these two things can't sort of be applicable and and that's a lot of what LS has kind of pointed out is very basic concepts just like this I mean that's not even a difficult it's you know it's not that's not even a difficult thing to sort of comprehend but it's amazing how many people uh cannot comprehend it so anyway sorry this is a long-winded diatribe and in, in essentially in just a defense of uh of LS and and why he's very intelligent um but he has finally come back to the pro scene uh, and i i totally even didn't finish his like well how he's been tangential to the pro scene because not only was he popular through streaming but he was also uh doing the english broadcast for lck uh for two years i think and then he's been doing co-streaming and live viewing of uh the lcs and lec and so he's been very uh, tangential to the pro scene, and, and uh, obviously he's um, you know good friends with Nemesis, who is very recently removed from being a professional player in Europe, um, and he has had a good relationship with people on C9 like Fudge um, and Crowny uh, Crownshot, who is also. Um, very recently removed from being an, a professional AD carry in Europe. Uh, and, and there's other people that he certainly talks to that he, you may not talk to on stream, but he's sort of really, certainly um, alluded to, uh, you know, talking to pro players and discord and stuff like that. Right. So he has a, a good relationship with a lot of uh, pro players and, and whatnot. And so he um, has gotten a lot of criticism uh, again, for the way that he thinks about the game, uh, a lot of it, in my opinion, unwarranted. I think a lot of people get very um, turned off by sometimes how he presents uh, his information. They get very upset about that they feel like he's reing or that he's getting so, um, you know, he gets very charged up and can can sound very whiny and annoying about stuff. Um, and that can all be true while also what he's saying be true, right? I mean, so it's sort of like, it. it's like they hate the message because of the messenger. And so even if the message is right, they refuse for it to be right just because of it being him. And, and I think there's a lot of that um, behavior that I think is very unfair to ultimately what he's um, tried to uh, convey. And so now uh, we get to... We get to prove it, right? Now it's a matter of it's going to get proven because he is going to become the uh, head coach of C9, or he's officially the head coach of C9 now. Um, Cloud9, for those of you who are not aware, Cloud9 is a, um, an American uh, organization, uh, part of the LCS. And so if you're someone who plays League and hasn't really watched much professional League of Legends, I I'd tell you that if, if you haven't had an interest up to this point, that I highly suggest you give it another try here um, because I, I think you, that you'll be very uh, impressed with 
what what you'll see out of Cloud9 at the very least. I, I really do. And, and especially because we know that Fudge will buy into uh, what LS wants to do as a coach. Um, and it sounds like it, it sounds like Blabber, their uh, jungler, seems to have the right kind of relationship with LS towards, um, you, you know, kind of stacking, as LS calls it, stacking personalities. Ultimately, what it is is people buying into the fact that there's going to be some um, niche champion picks, a lot of flexes in draft, th- things of this nature that are very uncommon in, in um, professional League of Legends right now, but are unbelievably overpowered. I mean, it's super undervalued how like how people just basically don't consider draft as like an aspect of the game. And in reality, um, there are sort of like rock, paper, scissors elements to League of Legends. Ultimately, there are certain champions that are very good at negating what other champions are trying to accomplish. And especially if those champions are in the quote unquote meta, um, you'll see teams sort of blindly pick these champions that are quote unquote meta that there are champions out there that do an excellent job of negating that that meta champions um uh kit or capacity or what that champion wants to accomplish and people just don't play it because people are essentially kind of afraid of the idea of of being wrong uh, is sort of ultimately what it seems like or 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 like they just don't they don't even want to conceive the idea that this like that that could be true and so uh, we're going to see a lot out of out of LS in, in that regard, and I think that that's what's going to and, and because this is a problem that has plagued solo queue so much, right? Like I was saying, I would play Karma mid, and the amount of people that would flame me before we even got into the game, basically saying like, you know, you're just inting our game because you're pit like this is a stupid pick without realizing like, okay, but we're f- like, look at our team comp, we have like a a Jinx or like a Kogma or something like that in in bot lane um, or like an Aphelios or something like that in bot lane or we have like an Echo jungle or something like something to that matter, something to that nature where we have like a really hard scaling, like high damage um, champion on our team comp. And like, why would I conflict with that champion by picking something that may like take additional resources or there, you know, some sort of splitting of resources that ultimately hurts our team when I can take a champion that can function on lower resources and and that and I'll basically make that champion um just 1v like you know just like 1v5 every fight because like they'll be unkillable because my they'll either be shielded and healed through whatever comes their way or they're going to because my shield gives speed like they're going to be sped up such that like they can keep spacing properly even if they're not particularly particularly mechanically skilled at spacing um and so it's it's aspects like that or and simple things like oh well i'm facing a kiana in mid lane well guess what like you know people be all like pissy looking at at the matchup in draft and think like oh my god kiana versus karma karma stomps that matchup like kiana is not allowed to lane against karma if you're playing correctly Karma will just shit on Kiana the whole matchup. Kiana will be down like 
20-30 CS very fast in the game. Her only ability to get into the game will be roaming. And if all you do is listen to when you're getting pinged that the Kiana is coming, you can either turn on her or just walk away and then she continues to lose. Because like whatever you think you're losing in that time frame where you have to back off the wave or whatever, it will not add up to the fact that Kiana, if Kiana cannot snowball, then once we get into mid game and she's behind, she is a completely useless champion. She has no value. And at that point, it's literally a, a 4v5 in our favor and, and things like that. But people don't want to think about that because they'd rather you pick some sort of absurd, you know, some absurd pick into her that's just coin flipping whether or not she can get an advantage out of like an early solo kill or something like that. And then like and then let her get out of control. And and, and so it's just. Yeah, it, it's one of those things that people are incapable of thinking about these things. And LS is very. Uh, forward on broaching these types of topics. And so I, I know I've been very all over the place, but I am very excited about this. And so he is becoming the head coach of Cloud9. So you're going to see in the LCS this year, a lot of different gameplay. And I and I believe wholeheartedly that there is going to be a lot of success um, that comes from it. Even if early on, I, I, I wonder if there's going to be early struggles. Um, just as a part of like kind of getting used to it, there's going to be some swings and misses here and there, I'm sure. Um, but I think ultimately it's going to be successful. And as LS put it in his sort of introductory video is that he was looking at it and pointed out that Korea and China regressed um, this year. Korea, Korea and China have, have um, won, um, have won worlds, whatever, like, one of the two is one worlds the past, like what, I don't know, five years or something like that. Now, like it, it's pretty crazy. The, the rate at which Korea, Korea and China win because, um, and, and a lot of people attribute it just to, uh, like this mechanical skill gap, which I don't agree with. I, there is a mechanical skill gap. I, I do agree with that, but I think that it is far more marginal than what people believe that skill gap. Like, I don't think that that mechanical skill gap makes as big of a difference as people think. Um, I, I think that part of why K Korea and China tend to win is that, um, <coughs> is that sure, the mechanical skill gap plays a role, but I think that they're also more skilled in like micro uh, levels of gameplay. So, um, things like laning and CSing are, are things that are like, and, and like jungle pathing are, are things that are taken way more, uh, seriously within Korea and are practiced much more with much more intent. And, <clears throat> and so what, what you see is that they're more successful at these things, which lead them to being more successful uh, coming out of early game into the mid game. And then if you're not even going to attempt to outdraft these teams, then the combination of them being better at micro aspects of the game, on top of the fact that they may have some marginal level of mechanical skill over you, will lead to a severe disadvantage for teams coming out of the West. Now, what LS pointed out is that those teams have regressed um, in those types of categories, right? Um, Korea and China draft terribly they they've they consistently do not draft draft well like they draft champions that don't make sense with each other they draft champions that are only good in a vacuum 
Um, they draft champions that are on, only good conditionally, you know, or like champions that are only good conditionally, but they'll blind pick them. And it's like, why would you blind pick a conditional champion? It doesn't make any sense. And so, um, so they do all of this behavior. And on top of the fact that actually in the West, the West has been better, generally speaking, at macro aspects of gameplay, like in terms of strategy towards, um, uh, drag, like neutral objectives and, and things like that. The West actually does typically have an advantage on, on sort of st- strategic elements of the game like that. And so, um, Basically, LS is looking at it and like this, there's never been a better time for a a Western team to come out and make a difference um, in uh, in like international levels of play. Uh, I mean, and, and that's that's somewhat shown through uh, how, you, you know, Cloud9 this season was pretty successful at Worlds, all things considered. And... Um, and not only that, but how uh, Fnatic was pretty successful, all things considered. And Fnatic had a lot of other things going on with it beyond um, beyond just it being a Western team um, going up against an Eastern Eastern teams or what and what have you. Obviously, there was a lot of background drama beyond that 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 certainly had significant in, in, impacts on the ability for the players to sort of stay focused and 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 um, and play at their best and be mentally uh, healthy, really. Um, and so, but we, we're not going to get into that. But th- the only point is that there is a time now for Western teams to to try and actually take the edge over over Eastern teams. And, and Ellis is saying, look, I mean, if there is an, ever an opportunity, this is it, and I'm going to take it. And so I'm, I'm very excited to see it. I think that um, I'm excited to see how this impacts... Um, North America's ability to succeed internationally. Um, I believe that this should hopefully force North American teams within um, uh, North American regional play, like during the LCS schedule, to adjust, to play better, to think more about draft, think more about champions, to think more about like macro aspects of gameplay and micro aspects of gameplay. And so... I I really think it's going to raise, you know, it's sort of like a rising tide raises all ships. I, I, I hope that it raises the bar for all North American play. And I and I think that certainly for people who do watch League of Legends and play League of Legends, I'm hoping that it will also improve our solo queue experience because I'm I, I just I'm tired of people who just don't think about the game at all. I, I mean, sort of like a- anecdotally, um, Another hilarious thing that that happened to me uh, once was um, a couple of patches ago, I was playing and I banned Yumi. Um, so uh, for those of you who don't play, obviously, it's going to it's going to be hard to explain, but she's an enchanter based type of champion who is unbelievably overpowered, actually, because of her synergy with items um, and and her kit. And basically some, and, and I wasn't even playing in bot lane. So it's like, I wouldn't be facing the Yumi directly necessarily. Um, in, and my team started flaming me during draft about, about it being like, why would you ban Yumi? And this, you know, this guy who sort of like unironically picks like Leona or whatever blind, um, was like, why would you ban Yumi? She's the worst support in the game she can't even protect a tower by herself. 
And I just was like, I, I was like, I cannot believe that like you pro like, you know, you're in gold elo. So like you probably, you play the game at least a decent amount. Right. I mean, like I I'm in gold and I mean, sure. Like I have my problems. It's not as if to say that I'm like this challenger player that's stuck in gold or something like that. I'm in gold right now, but I, I play like 200 games a season. So for, for people, you know, I, I mean, most people would understand that uh, you, I mean, you can't climb without playing and 200 games a season is not very many games. Like a lot of people get like 200 games a week, you know, or 200, like, or 200 games a month. Um, you, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people that I know will have nearly a thousand games by the end of the season. So I, you know, it's, you can only play, you can only climb so much if you're not playing, right? Because ultimately, like, you only get so much LP per win, and you can only get better and improve as a, as a player by playing, right? To a certain degree. And so, as, especially at my level of play. But it's just like, since, you know, simple things like that are just conceptual. I mean, it's just like, I, who has ever drafted a support purely on the, on the concept of like, whether or not they can defend a tower by themselves. It's like, it's nonsensical. Um, but that's literally some of the level of like brainlessness that occurs in North American, uh, solo queue. Um, and so I'm hoping that like some of this will help kind of stymie that like pervasive behavior, um, that comes through in, in North American, solo solo queue gameplay like because it's it it's a preposterous notion to be upset about a yumi ban uh and, and that be your reasoning um because it's just like i i mean i'm just like have you never played against a yumi once it gets to mid to late game like and especially i forget who, what champions were on their team but it's just like you know once yumi leaves and starts attaching to somebody else it's going to be disgusting. We're, how are we ever supposed to win the game under those circumstances? It would just be impossibly hard. It, it, the onus would be on us to succeed so much greater than them and for us to win the game. So it's like, why would, why would I allow that to come through when I'm not worried about anybody lane, uh, that I'm going to lane against because ultimately I'm in gold elo and there's not going to be a champ like someone is not going to be so proficient on a champion that it's simply an unplayable game for me. I can just lane well, lane safely if if needed and and be fine by playing a champion that like doesn't need to succeed early to win. And then I I, I can still be a part of the game, but what I don't want is like a Yumi to get out of control early because like our bot lane just like loses a bunch of coin flips. Or we just get into late game and naturally Yumi outscales like whatever support they're probably going to play. Um, and and so it's, it's I, I know I'm kind of going on my own diatribe here, but uh, ultimately this ties back to LS and that like I'm very excited to see if he can finally break this kind of freeze, um, which, I, you know, I pun intended because... I, I'm also tired of the fact that people don't understand what freezing is. And like they, you know, if you just freeze a lane and your team's like flaming, like, why aren't you doing something? And it's like, there's nothing to do. Like, 
Look at what's on the map. Nothing. Why wouldn't I just freeze this lane and farm and, and create an XP and gold gap or try and close the XP and gold gap if I'm behind? It's it's nonsense. And But people just can't conceive these concepts. And it's it's frustrating because this is not difficult material. Um, and so, uh, you, you know... I'm hoping that it'll break this freeze that's been on the meta of, you know, the quote unquote meta of League of Legends for like the past two years where you see basically the same like 15 champions pick banned. I mean, it's like, you know, you'll see like basically some 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 variation of like Renekton, um, you know, Victor, Oriana, Nar uh Kaiza, Nautilus, Leona, um Leeson, uh who else? Let's see. Like I'm I'm trying to think. Set, um Scion and like uh and you'll see like gangplanks and the occasional like karma pick but it'll never it rarely gets flexed except for like one random time period and at least in in uh in um EU and NA where some people were sometimes taking karma top and there was like a brief period where people were playing soraka top and then they just randomly stopped for like no reason um and you'll see like jin come out as like ADC and it's like you'll rarely see like Jinx or Kog'Maw um and and champions like this where it it's like it, <laughs> it's 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 just like why is it all there's like 140 champions in the game or something like that and and yet these are like the, the only ones that ever get picked and it's just like it's it's nonsense to think that there aren't more champions out there that um are that can be successful and especially if they are um conceptually used properly and stacked with each other um and so that's sort of ultimately what ls is talking about when it comes to like the personality stacking is people who are willing to play champions that go well together even if they they don't personally like playing that champion or if they don't think that champion's good um in a vacuum because it's like the it's not about the champion being good in a vacuum it's about the champion like synergizing well with its team your teammates you know like uh and so it's it's that kind of stuff that just ultimately does not get um properly considered even at professional levels of play and so we we should be seeing that out of ls and so um you know i this is uh, obviously the first uh 30 minutes or so of this um uh, of this podcast is largely just a giant ringing endorsement of ls um coming back to the pro scene but but i i am seriously very excited to see uh cloud nine play i mean i barely watched pro play um this this past uh season at least um North American pro play because it's so fucking boring. It was like, you already knew it was going to happen. It was going to be the same like combination of 15 to 20 champions that are getting pick banned. I, I mean, or, you know, I guess like the same combination of like 20 champions that are getting pick banned. Um, there's no thought behind it. Teams will lose with this comp and then run it back thinking that like the comp had nothing to do with it. Um, 
teams will win games against a bad comp and then will actively choose to play that same bad comp like as like with some level of hubris of like they can make it work and sometimes they do and it has nothing to do with the fact that they played the champions it is just a fact that they're overall a better team um and it's like that behavior just doesn't work like once you get into like really high skill level play like in international play for example and so um yeah, it's just like the level of thoughtlessness that that is in the game right now uh, is made it unbelievably boring to watch. And so I'm, I'm excited because this should make some change. I mean, I can't tell you how many times where even if like a pick was a bad pick or um, or maybe it's like a good champion pick. Like, for example, like a Malzahar gets picked in mid lane or a Kog'Maw gets picked in bot lane. Like, even if it was like a bad pick because... Like they didn't stack their team to like work around it, or if it just didn't work out in the game, like that game, how much more exciting it was just to see a different fucking champion on the fucking rift. It is just like I I genuinely can't begin to explain how much more fun it was just to watch like something different get played because it is so exhausting watching these stupid matchups over and over that. Ha- like just are obviously not being thought of at all. Um, so all of that to say, LS is coming to be the head coach of cloud nine. Um, for those of you who watch professional play, I really encourage you to focus on watching cloud nine and, um, and observing what, what they're doing. Even if you don't want to root for cloud nine, you can root against them. That's fine, but watch them and just watch what they're doing because I'm telling you, what they're doing is going to come with intent and and real thought behind it. Um, and then as far as, um, you, you know, if you're someone who plays League but doesn't watch, I again, I really highly encourage you to at least watch Cloud9 play when they're playing because I'm telling you, I, I think that it will help you tremendously in sort of thinking more about how you're playing solo queue uh, or even if you just play normal queue with your friends and that's all you do, that's totally fine too. Uh, however you enjoy your time, but you may enjoy your time even more um, in, in normal queue. Um, if you just like, if you try some of these concepts out and 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 whatnot. And so, uh, and then also like, I'll just point out in general that uh, if you are interested in getting better at the game, that you should subscribe to some of Ellis's content. And and I'm I'm telling you, I think that you're gonna find that uh, you're gonna find yourself improving. Um, and and you should find yourself improving in Elo. But I'm telling you, you'll find your your like climbing. In my opinion, is not the important part. Like you can get better and not climb. Um, just via like because like you're gonna have to play games to climb right ultimately you're gonna have to play games to climb but even if you're not playing a lot and so like ultimately it's very hard for you to ever climb because of that fact uh, you will notice an improvement in your gameplay um you'll become and what you'll notice specifically is a consistency in your gameplay you won't be so like you won't just be going randomly like have games where you're like 15 and 2 uh you know like 15 2 and 10 and then have an, another game where you're like 0 and 12. Um, you you know you'll start to like tighten up those those stat lines 
and you'll you'll con- you'll start to raise your CS levels and con- and and consistently raise your CS levels. And all of that is is good behavior that will inevitably lead to climbing. Like climbing is a result. It's not a like it, it it's not a um you're not go- setting out to sort of like you're not setting out to climb. You're setting out to play better and climbing just is a result of that, right? Like um it's kind of like the idea of like you don't set out to solve a math problem in order to get the answer you want you set out to solve the math problem and you will like if you've done the proper work to solve it you will get the right answer because you know what i mean like if you set out and you're just like i want this answer to be four well that doesn't really do you any good (laughs) you know um but if you're just setting out and doing the right work, you'll come out with the right answer. And that's what matters. So um, I, I think that you'll find that that you will see some some success in, in that in that uh, regard. Um, I just I could not recommend enough uh, viewing his content and and um, and Nemesis's content as well uh, are both extremely informative. And, and the others that I mentioned earlier Um I think the rest of what's kind of gone on in in um in League of Legends space has largely been kind of boring. I mean, there's like a lot of roster moves and whatever, but um I, I'm not certain that any of those roster moves have like really like materially uh made any difference that's like honestly even worth talking about. So um as as far as I'm concerned, you, you know, there's nothing really there to talk about in League of Legends. So we can move to, how about, let's talk about uh, the Tarkov news that's coming out, right? So uh, my last Tarkov episode actually did really well. So I appreciate all of you who tuned in for that. Uh, that was one of the better uh, downloaded episodes. Um, and it was one of the most engaged Instagram posts that I had on my Ron Sense podcast uh, Instagram account. So shout out to all of you who uh, helped me out, you know, or supported me by, by you know, uh, engaging with uh, my content, I guess. I don't, I don't know. It's kind of weird uh, still to even, I guess, talk in those terms. But for, for those of you who downloaded, listened, um, you know, liked the post and whatnot, appreciate you all, appreciate all of your uh, support. Um so the twelve twelve uh trailer came out for Escape from Tarkov, and uh it gives you a a decent layout of what's going on with uh the new map lighthouse. Certainly it, it's still somewhat confusing because based on like all, all of the different um shorts in the video and like the images and whatnot from the from the trailer, it's like it's kind of hard to determine how big the map is. Like, it seems like it must be massive because it looks like there's a lot going on in a bunch of different areas. So that's, I mean, that's fun. That's going to be cool and interesting and, 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 uh, definitely something cool to, um, to try and discover and, 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 uh, start to, to figure that whole map out. Uh, they also showed quite a bit of different, uh, things some some things that were kind of known, other things that weren't. 
for example, we did know that the scar was coming through some images and whatnot that had been leaked by, uh, well, not really leaked, because I think Nikita is the one that put him out there. So I, I don't think you can call it a leak if if uh, the the head developer is the one who who puts it out there. But so we knew that the scar was coming. Um, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there's the 762 and 556 models of the scar that uh, will will be getting added in. Uh, there was a whole bunch of different sites. Um, there was a whole there was a whole bunch of different um, sites like attachments for for guns. A lot of them, uh, to be honest, were didn't look like they were that great. There was a couple of sites that did look like they'd be useful. A lot of them looked like ones that just probably wouldn't realistically get used unless um unless they create like a greater scarcity in 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 um in in like what is uh, uh what's available you know right like if 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 it comes to the point where um sites are much harder to get much more expensive and whatnot then maybe those sites will get used a little bit but if if the kind of status quo remains in terms of uh the ease of acquiring lots of like the highest tier sort of uh most clear sites then i suspect a lot of them will not really get used um some things that we saw in there that were not officially announced or were just uh, not clear um was like we knew that there was going to be some new gun jams. I don't think that we knew that silencer overheating was going to come in, and we saw a little glimpse of silencer overheating. Um, we saw impact grenades. I don't think that those had been uh, discussed. Uh, it, specifically, at least, it was an impact flashbang. So, um, based on what you could tell, it looked like that was the model number. So. It, it looks like it's an impact flashbang. So that that should be really interesting. Uh, that that definitely adds a very different element because the flashbangs and like the Zarya's in, in the game are not particularly, uh, you know, they're not particularly useful because they're fairly easy to avoid. Um, but an impact grenade definitely makes flashbang, like flashbanging uh, rooms and corners and whatnot a lot more viable as a strategy so um definitely interested in in testing those out um what else we knew that the double barrel shotgun was coming into play uh so we saw and and we did get to see a, a quick glimpse of that we got to see uh the revolver shotgun that I don't think had actually been even rumored. So that was definitely a bit of a surprise. Um, maybe one of the biggest surprises was that they added in a rangefinder. So it's going to be really interesting to see like how, if if the rangefinder is going to end up being kind of like the compass in the game where like it's like an item that you acquire from like a quest and then you basically just get to keep it, you know, no matter what on death. Um, if that's how it's going to be used, or if it is an item that, you know, you could lose, uh, on death or, you know, how, how exactly that's going to end up working in terms of like where it needs to be in your inventory and whatnot. And so definitely interested to see how that turns out because, uh, you know, if they're really expensive, I think it, it's probably, 
if you know if it's cost prohibitive then you know we'll we'll kind of see i guess on whether or not people like really utilize it but if it's fairly cheap i would imagine especially you know people in like duos or um people who are uh you know, trying to do like shooter born in heaven and stuff, for example, are really going to uh, utilize that a lot for uh, helping out with their uh, with with figuring out their ranges, figuring out their sighting and all that kind of stuff. So that's actually really cool and exciting. I, I'm definitely very stoked about uh, figuring out how that comes into play. Uh, and then um, what else? Uh, I'm trying to think if I'm missing any other things that got added in. I don't believe so. I mean, a lot of it was obviously focused on kind of giving you uh, these like little t morsels of what the new map is going to look like uh, without really being able to determine how um, <laughs> how it's laid out. Like I said earlier, it's, it seems like it's just like this massive map based on uh, what you could gather from all the different locations. It, it just seems like there's a lot of different terrain. So, so that, that seemed like what they were really trying to convey was like all of the map without you re like really being able to determine what all of the map actually was, but it's exciting. I, I think that it, it certainly makes a lot of people, um, pretty pumped about, uh, how the, uh, how the patch is going to end up, you know, being, um, again, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how inertia really ends up playing a role. I really do hope that inertia, it helps, you know, has an impact. I would like to see the game played slower. Um, cause like playing the game fast is like fun and all, but like it, it just feels I don't know. It just feels very weird, and it is very frustrating to deal with people who are just playing the game super fast, uh, especially if they're, like, much higher level. So if they have, like, really high strength and whatnot, and then they just sprint, like, a million miles an hour, and it is very hard to ever hit them. Meanwhile, if you're lower level, you're just fucked because you're going to run super slow, uh, and you're certainly going to be overweight much quicker. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that, that element definitely... Uh, will be, uh, uh, I think, m m probably just about everybody's biggest uh, sort of thing to look out for is how inertia ends up playing a role. Uh, otherwise, though, I think that that pretty much sums it up. Uh, obviously, we, you know, we're still in pre-wipe uh, events. So, uh, like, you know, like I think I said earlier, um, you know, all the bosses are on interchange, you know, it's fun. So, um, that, you know, at some point here, we should end up seeing the, uh, flea market close down and maybe traders open all the way up. So I think that covers us on the Tarkov front. How about the, uh, world chess championship? How about that? So, um, I think we are now looking at, um, game 11 uh tomorrow or i guess the time you listen this uh today uh since i'm recording this on on thursday night or late afternoon i guess um so uh through 10 games magnus carlson is now 
uh, brought in his lead up to three games. So now game 11 is a match point, I guess you could say. Uh, if if Magnus can win game 11, he will win the World Chess Championship. Um I, you know, I, I'm, I'm obviously not a, a great chess player. I'm not an expert on this. So a lot of this um, analysis that I sort of provide is a lot of regurgitated information that I've gotten from, um, from Hikaru Nakamura, uh, who's, in my opinion, I think the, the best chess, um, I mean, I, I I don't even want to call him like a chess content creator because I, I, I kind of hate the term content creator. I, I just feel like it's like, I guess like the term's accurate, but I don't know. It's just kind of like the sort of like, I I don't know how, how to say it. Just kind of like the 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 mental image that it, it kind of produces in my head. Like, I just don't really like it because it, it just feels very dismissive and sort of like not in and too generic because like he i guess he is a chess content creator but obviously he's also in a professional chess play like he's a a well um accomplished professional chess player um who basically it's sort of like just also streams and and not obviously now really mainly streams and um and and certainly obviously for those those who are aware uh i mean he is no longer um, rated within the FIDE rating system because he has not played a like FIDE sanctioned event in like two years. Um, and he does have he does have plans to play again next year, I guess. So he'll be back on those ratings uh, soon enough. Uh, but it, it was rather surprising to realize that he hasn't played in a FIDE event in two years because he has played in some tournaments like online and whatnot. Um, and so, um, he's, he's been cast or sort of like, you know, like, uh, co-streaming, I, I guess you could say the, um, this world chess championship for the entirety, uh, of it, you, you know, and, and so shout out to him because he lives in Los Angeles. And so these, these games have been starting in like, you know, whatever, four or five in the morning for him, uh stuff like that so he's getting up i mean he as he says on a stream you know he, he's and and for those who uh have followed him for a long time he lived in florida for a long time he actually only like not that long ago moved to los angeles and and a, a lot of times he's kind of kept his schedule in that way because he also has a lot of european fans and so um you know to make sure that he can get the largest kind of fan contingent uh worldwide that he can with his streams his schedule does keep him you know get him up early as is but uh, he's been doing a great job uh, casting these uh, World Chess Championship games, and I think that there's definitely uh, a career for him. Like, you know, well, I, again, I, I don't want to dismiss by saying like a career for him there as if like he doesn't already have a perfectly adequate career. But I, I think it's, um, you know, something he could add into his uh, portfolio of his career, I guess, because uh, he has been excellent, very interesting um to listen to uh, analyze these games um he's been very fun in terms of even so, you know a lot of these games where um 
you know, for someone like him who's so astute at the game, he can basically determine very early on whether or not it's going to draw or whether or not there's like a strong possibility of who's going to win and who has that that because you could watch you could watch it and you could turn the lines on and you could have the computer tell you what's you know uh what's going on or whatever but you know it's sort of like it doesn't that doesn't mean anything that doesn't contextualize anything for you right as cuz if you're like most of us who are like you know pretty i mean the vast majority of us are under 1800 and probably many people who uh are viewing the chess tournament or watch Hikaru are probably under like 1500 and even like I don't know like 1200 um they you know it doesn't actually provide you any value right like because you're gonna look at the board and the computer can tell you this is a draw the computer can tell you this is a massive favorite in one direction and uh, a lot of times, especially early in in the game, it's not at all obvious why that would be, um, because you're not a seasoned enough like player, not good enough player, um, to really realize why the position is good or neutral or or what have you. And so Hikaru obviously is able to contextualize all of this so that um, basically you could know very little about chess, and yet as you watch him, you can understand why players are making the plays that they're making, or if they blundered what they're, you know, I mean, obviously at this case, it's not much in, in the way of at this level of play, not exactly blunders, but, um, missteps, um, you know, suboptimal decisions and stuff like that at at the very least. And, and, you know, especially because one of the things, right, is that oftentimes these players may take, you know, once they've kind of gotten out of their prep and their openings, um, they may take, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes per move. And so that's a lot of downtime. And so Hikaru does a great job of really running through all the possibilities, what they could be thinking about, things like that. And then also kind of just keeping you generally engaged. Um, and so, uh, you know, m- much of what my, uh, analysis would be up to this point is just whatever I've <laughs> gathered from from listening into him. So much, I, I I guess for the most part, I'd rather just give him a shout out. But but largely, if you've been if you've been watching, um, it seems like the sort of linchpin. I think was it was maybe game um, five or six, if I recall correctly, was sort of the game where uh, Nepo kind of definitely shot himself in the foot ends up losing and um you know as as hikaru kind of pointed out on his stream that was clearly the point where nepo kind of tilted and um for those of you not aware of the term tilted tilted means that like you've essentially sort of kind of lost your your um your mental edge, you know, a lot of times it's often used to say like that you've started to get like mad or upset. And so, um, you know, it's used, obviously it's a very common term within gaming, but for, for those of you, in case you are not aware, like if you're referring to someone as tilted, they've basically, they've gotten like frustrated or angry and, um, they're, uh, they've sort of lost their mental edge, uh, as a result, you know, they're making like from that point on, you know, cause like oftentimes you don't play better angry, right? You, cause you make mental mistakes because you're upset. Um, because 
you know, you're you're making decisions out of anger instead of uh, out of like rational decision making. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. <clears throat> so, anyways, <clears throat> that's that's where Hikaru kind of said it. It seemed that Nepo had kind of tilted, and and from there it was somewhat of a a, a pretty quick downward uh, trajectory. And he's sort of rebalanced himself with these these recent draws, um, but obviously at this point it's just the 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 fact of the matter is he's just running out of time. And, and depending on the results of uh, tomorrow or today's match, uh, the match may even be over by the time you're listening to this. I'm not really sure. Um, his time may very well have run out altogether. So uh, that's that's been. Uh, kind of a, a good watch. It's it's been interesting. Um, it's the first time really I've paid any attention to the World Chess Championship. So uh, I think shout out to um, the chess community and especially to um, Hikaru um, for making chess much more um, uh, ex- accessible. I guess it's not. I guess uh, you, you know it's kind of one of those things. It's actually one of those cases where. It like there. It actually means something to say, like bringing awareness. You know, like he's brought more awareness to chess because a lot of times, like people are like, "Oh, you know, I'm bringing awareness." It's like you're not really doing anything. Like, um, but this is one of those cases where I would say, like, yeah, like Hikaru is bringing awareness to chess, and that has been a good thing because what you know, some like because it's like one thing. It's like, oh, I'm bringing awareness to like this charitable cause or something like that. It's like, oh, how about you know you bring some fucking, you know, things that like tangibly help that charitable cause. In the case of like a, a sport or a game, um, what it needs is eyeballs, right? Ultimately, it, what it needs is eyeballs. And so um, I, Hik- Hikaru has done an excellent job of bringing more more and more eyeballs to the game. And so, and and I, I guess like, you know, he kind of in, in his, even in his sort of designation, Chess, I, I guess, would be sort of more close to an esport than a sport, right? And and so I, I guess I'm kind of lumping it into like the video games and sort of esports category here, if you will. Um, I think that basically concludes uh, what I had sort of had on on that topic. Uh, moving on, I, I guess, to one of the the more uh, major th- things that's in season, right? As I uh, mentioned earlier, is the Valorant uh, champions. Uh, tournament in Berlin. And so we are into the playoff stage there. Um, For the most part, um, a decent amount of chalk in terms of who we expected to come out of. um, Well, I guess I actually shouldn't even say a decent amount of chalk. Actually, I think all of the groups, basically all of the groups kind of had some some, uh, unexpected advancements so um the teams that we you you know so okay we'll just go by the groups right so group a uh ascend and x10 critical uh or x10 crit uh came out of group a uh this was a pretty interesting i mean i think most people figured ascend would make it out ascend has been playing very well of late um they are out of the emea region and Europe has been uh, very strong of late when it comes to Valorant. So, uh, but then actually the surprise is X10 crit out of um, Southeast Asia 
who Southeast Asia has had some some good representation come out this year, which is really great for that region, which is oftentimes sort of um, patronized or, you know, thought of as, as a, uh, a minor region. Uh, they ended up upsetting uh, Team Envy out of North America, who's nor- probably North America's, uh, you, you know, is certainly debatably North America's best team. And, um, and they, Team Envy fell flat. They had their opportunity and they lost to X10 Crit at the, at the end of the group stages, uh, to get bounced out. Uh, and then Vivo Keed, who I, I, I feel terrible for because, uh, I think if you're going to be like a box score Andy and you look at their overall performance, um, just like off the wiki page or something like that, you'd look and say, oh, well, they just got thoroughly dominated and like it was. But actually, Vivo Keed played a lot of really good matches against both Ascend and Team Envy. And and I I mean, I it 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 sucks that that's kind of like how they're going to get seen is that they um, it looks as like as if they didn't really win and they didn't you know they didn't even um account for that many round wins um but they played really well and especially heat on their team played excellent um had so many clutch moments for them to even like stay in it uh out of group b you had uh team liquid and crew um this was definitely a pretty uh tough um group so team liquid uh, um certainly is an excellent team obviously so i think that again it was not a huge surprise that they would end up making it out but crew um out of latin america was definitely a bit of a surprise because this group also had sentinels and furia in it and um i mean furia wasn't necessarily anything uh, special this this um I mean, I don't know. They were fine. Like, they were competitive, but it didn't seem as if they, they had as much of a chance. Even though, like, you look at box score, you'd look at them and say, like, they did better than Vivo Keed. But uh, honestly, I, 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 I mean, maybe it was just, like, uh, my eyes deceived me. But I just felt like Vivo Keed was definitely a team that seemed more uh, deadly than Furia. Um, but Sentinels ends up, not making it again, one of debatably America's best teams, uh, North America's best teams coming out and, um, and getting bounced out of, out of group stages, uh, which is really unfortunate. And obviously Sentinels had an overall pretty strong performance in terms of, um, their round wins and, and, and whatnot, but they just ended up not being able to string it together into overall, um, best of three wins. And, and so that's really unfortunate, um, for them. I don't know. I mean, they just didn't seem to play cohesively enough. Uh, Group C, you had Gambit, which was uh, not a surprise. That was definitely a shoe-in. I I think a lot of people look at Gambit as probably the best team currently in in Europe. Um, And so it's not terribly surprising to see them making it out. Um, And then Team Secret makes it out, which... um, I guess you could say is somewhat of, I mean, somewhat of a surprise. I think that there's probably a lot of people that didn't expect Team Secret, but I, I think that it is overall kind of like a, I think it was kind of overall like a, who knew who, you know, it was going to be Gambit and somebody else because 
Uh, you had Team Secret, Team Vikings, Crazy Raccoon. So you got, um, you know, Southeast Asia, Brazil, and Japan, and all, all of those, you know, so it's sort of like, it could have been anybody. Team Secret, though, uh, really did come out and play quite well. Um, they also have, like, the nice story of they weren't able to play last year because of COVID and whatnot. And so they they are they end up being able to compete this year, and they uh, put up a, a very respectable performance in groups and, and make their way into the playoffs bracket. Uh, group D was, um, I guess, what most people would consider the group of death. Um, I, I guess I would ag- agree. I mean, you had full sense the the uh, out of S- Southeast Asia, the Thailand team out of Thailand, um, who definitely felt like a little bit of like a, a team that was just there to be stomped. Um, but uh, you had Fnatic, who has been playing excellent uh, out of Europe, and then you have Cloud Nine representing uh, North America, who also was having some excellent performances, especially Leaf, who was just playing out of his mind. Um, uh, I think that he, you know, I mean, uh, I, you've had, I mean, Zeppa also playing really well. Um, but I, I think that Leaf has literally just been carrying this team, this, this tournament, uh, vision strikers out of Korea, who is an excellent excellent team. So I, I think between Fnatic Cloud9 and Vision Strikers, I mean, it was very hard. Um, and if you look at the, like their box scores in terms of like round wins and whatnot, they are really, really tight on, in terms of, I mean, they're all basically right at the same level. So um, very interesting that they, they you know, uh, that that group was Certainly not a shoe in for anybody, but Cloud9 and, and Fnatic end up making it out while uh, Vision Strikers gets bounced up in the final game. Um, and so, and then in the first day of playoffs, Ascend um, sort of not surprisingly end up taking care of Team Secret. Team Secret did make it interesting for a little bit there, but did did inevitably get 2-0'd by Ascend. Um, and then sadly, uh, Team Liquid 2-0'd Cloud9 um, Again, in a series that looked really good, um, you know, it was very competitive in the uh, in the first round, um, and then in the second round, Cloud Nine was really looking like they were mounting this made like that they were going to win this map and they were going to take it to three, and and looked like they had a legitimate chance, and they just kind of fell apart in the middle of that second map and end up losing and team liquid moves on. So you're going to have ascend versus liquid in the semifinals. Um, and then you've got, uh, in the bottom half of the bracket gambit versus X 10. Um, I, I mean, X 10 has definitely, definitely made it interesting, uh, in some of these matches. um, you you know like the the first I, I mean the first map like X10 had a couple of rounds where you're like whoa maybe they have a chance but ultimately uh, Gambit just kind of leans into them and, and and just kind of kills them with consistency you know consistent play out of all of their players and and uh, especially Defo um, and so you know you know moving into map two uh, it it definitely gets in gets interesting because. Uh, X10 actually puts together a solid little lead, um, you know, through the middle rounds of the game. And then, um, once they took like a seven, six lead, I want to say it was, 
um, right around there, they actually really just pulled away and, and actually just straight up embarrassed Gambit, to be honest. Like they just made Gambit look terrible, um, through the, the rest of the second map, um, and took it to three map to third map and, and actually came out strong in the third map on Breeze. Um, they, it, it was really looking like it might be their match to win. And then, you know, it stayed tight. I mean, it was literally like, I mean, it was staying even the whole way, but it, it really looked like X10 was like the better team, you, you know, for a little bit there. I mean, the way they were playing, I mean, it just, it looked like Gambit was the ones that were on the ropes. And then basically, um, I forget exactly what round it was. I think it was like tied at like six, six or seven, seven, maybe. And, um, and sorry, I totally just like my, my brain just exploded on me. X10 has a round that should be in hand. They, they've got like a four, two advantage in the round and they just completely collapse and end up losing the round with a, a four two man advantage and, and basically from there like it, they you have to figure they must have just tilted out of their minds because i i would have to imagine the conversion rate on a four two lead uh has has got to be in the spectrum of uh i don't know 90 some odd percent because for a lot of good teams uh, a five four lead in man advantage converts at near eighty percent. So I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I, I'm sure that a uh, a four two lead converts somewhere in in the neighborhood of a um, a ninety uh, ish percent success rate. I, I I just have to imagine. So I, I, they probably just tilted out of their minds and and they and they just completely blew it from there. I don't even know if they actually ended up winning a round from there to stabilize and Gambit just ends up somehow pulling through in this game. Um so it, it was bizarre. I mean, X10 for a little bit there even looked like the better team and then Gambit kind of just comes back and shows why they're such a good team um and 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 makes it happen so uh, i don't know what to to read into that in terms of what the the um semifinals will look like for uh for gambit there because i'm i'm a little bit concerned if they're going to play that way because it looks like uh crew are just world beaters at this point so uh Crew ends up upsetting Fnatic to close out the uh, the the games for today in the quarterfinals, and Crew, I, I mean, just looked uh, overall like the better team. I mean, I, I don't know how else to to say it really because you know. So uh, Crew ends up taking the first map surprisingly. I, I think. I mean, I think for most people it was surprising, but Crew. I mean definitely looked like they earned that map win second map uh fanatic looks like they've totally rebalanced themselves i i mean fanatic just tears through the second map and then we get into the third map and it, i mean it <laughs> i i don't even know like i i don't know what happened to fanatic i mean it was crazy i mean they just got like 
they just got stomped. I, I mean, and um, and and I'm trying to think of what what map was it again? It was um, fracture or not? Sorry, not fracture. What am I talking about? Split, right? So it, it was split, and they just got obliterated. And so I mean, you know, I think somebody said it on the broadcast. Or someone said it on um, Shroud's uh, co-stream that, you know, if you really think about it, I mean, this is redeeming for Sentinels, who ends up not making it out of that group because of Crew. And now it looks like Crew is the real deal. So, uh, I mean, it it it's all of a sudden, it, I mean, it looks like, I, I mean... It, it looks like this team is is legit. I, I mean, they like Fnatic is a good team, and they stomped them. Like, frankly, they stomped them. So it, it's I, I'm I'm very interested to see how this ends up playing out here, um, because Gambit did not look convincing against X10. So we could very well see Crew actually make it all the way through, um, and then. We had a, and then on the other half of the bracket, we've got Ascend versus Team Liquid. Uh, this uh, obviously an EU versus EU matchup. It'll definitely be interesting to see how uh, that that ends up coming to be. Uh, I I mean I think that that could go either way. I mean I think that the form that Ascend looks to be in may be enough to to. To win it, but uh, Team Liquid is definitely looking dangerous right now, especially with how they were able to end up uh, getting past Cloud9. I, I just, I think that, I, I mean, that's definitely going to be like a heavyweight brawl right there, Liquid in a sense. So, but Gambit and Crew, I mean, look out for Crew to all of a sudden find themselves in the grand final. So, uh, I think that that probably covers us for all of this episode. I'm not sure that there's anything else that needs to be covered or that I missed. So uh, with all that, I appreciate y'all for tuning in. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this, let me know. If you didn't enjoy this and you, you're, you've you listened up to this point, I appreciate you still and let me know why you didn't enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for uh, feedback on this because I'm, I'm no expert on it. So appreciate y'all.